Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, ready for a question? Yes. What do you, Santa, Vincent Van Gogh, Willie Nelson, Abraham Lincoln, Ho Chi Minh, and Charles Darwin have in common? I wish I could think of a really funny, witty response to that, Molly, but I'm going to guess beards. That is true. I guess you did your research this week. <laughs> I did. That's very handy for our conversation that you've read about beards. It helps on weeks that I that I read things. So true. And as you have probably guessed, we're going to talk about beards today. So this one's one for the fellas. Men yeah. who are always writing in asking why we never talk about things that your mom's never told you. Here's one about beards. But ladies, don't worry. You're going to learn lots of secrets about men that they don't even know about themselves. Yeah, because Molly, let's not even, let's not pigeonhole ourselves to beards only. We're going to talk about stubble. Mustaches, maybe a mention of a soul patch here. Mutton there. chops. Mutton chops. Sideburns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, this is for you. I think I specifically emailed Molly with an article saying, let's do one for the guys. Alright, guys, whether you are bearded or not, it turns out you're making a statement about yourself. But before we get to what you're saying, let's do one of our favorite things here on the podcast and go back in history. Back in time. Mm-hmm. This information is coming from a book called 1000 Beards. Molly, remind me of the author's name, if you don't mind. Alan D. Peterkin. Alan D. Peterkin. Now, Alan D. Peterkin tells us that the history of male facial hair is actually a history of disappearances and serendipitous rediscoveries, which I love. Yes. I will say just this about the entire podcast. There are some great quotes out there about facial hair, Mm -hmm. things you did not even think about. But yes, they come into vogue, they come out of vogue. Yeah. As Peter can does, you can tell a history of the world through what the men were wearing on their faces. Right. Let's talk about ancient Egypt. Egyptians loved their beards. Well, upper class Egyptians loved their beards. They viewed them as status symbols and they were normally square shaped. The bigger, the better. They would braid them. They would paint them. They would dust them with gold. They would oil them, perfume them. But if you were a slave, you had to be clean shaven. Right. Basically, whenever we talk about what the upper class is doing, just reverse it for what they made the slaves do. Because when when uh, when beards go out of vogue, they immediately make their slaves grow them. Mm-hmm. And then a little fun fact, uh, an upward pointed curl on the end of a beard was reserved for gods. Ooh. Yes. Now, Kristen, have you ever heard of barbarians? Well, in fact, I have. They are always trampling through history, causing problems for people. Mm -hmm. And barbarians simply means bearded ones. Yeah. So that, I think, shows that after the Egyptians, there was some fear of beards. Yes, beards go out of vogue. And then we have them uh, come back in the Middle Ages, usually as a sign of allegiance. Right. For example, allegiance to the church. Mm -hmm. The medieval Christian church, very anti-beard. Seen as demonic. Yeah. And plus, um, but despite the fact that in the Bible, in Leviticus, it says, don't, don't touch your beard. Right. So we've got some religious groups growing beards out. We've got some people shaving them off to show allegiance with, with Christ. And, you know, you can walk down the street and see what a person believes based on their beard, which I think is still true today. Mm-hmm. But also how you feel about your country. Because did you know how many wars have been fought over beards? I was not aware of this. It goes back for uh, even, 
Back to ancient Persia, the Persians actually fought the Tartars when the Tartars tried to force the Persians, Persian men, to grow a specific type of beard. The Persians were not having it. So they were like, you know, let's just get rid of these Tartars. It was too much of an affront to Way say, like, here's what you do. But mm-hmm. they were not the last people to order how a beard would be worn. Oh, certainly not. Because uh, one of my favorite, Henry VI, forbids mustaches in the 1400s. Just does not like mustaches. You know what? If I were king, I might make the same decree today. The thing is, they they always seem to to make their decree based on whether they can or cannot grow the question, the, the hair in question. Mm-hmm. Because um, if we if we fast forward a little bit, uh, Louis the Thirteenth he wears a wig to hide his baldness, and then you know everyone else has to wear wigs. And then he cut all his, um, you know, his followers' beards off, and he makes them. He just leaves them with like this mustache and this small little tuft of like. I guess he left them with the soul patch, old school soul patch. And um, you know, everyone started wearing that because that's what the king had said. But really, just Louis just couldn't get any hair growing anywhere. Yeah, because you know, some guys it, it will come in the full beard will come in, and other guys they just they just have little patches. Yeah, around. <laughs> It's kind we'll of get funny. into that. It's kind of funny. Unless you probably have that patchy problem. And In then, which case, it's okay. It's fine. I have no problem with it. Yeah. Now, probably one of the best examples of a decree to do something about your facial hair is Peter the Great. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to show that Russia was like the rest of the Western world. So he orders all the nobles to shave their beards off. Yeah, the Russians used to sport these really amazing full beards. And then, like you said, it was finally time to... uh Shine up their image on a global scale, so they cut off those beards. And you face taxes if you didn't. And, I mean, many leaders over time, Henry VIII, he taxed people with beards. Mm-hmm. So it was a money raiser for some. Now, Kristen, you sent me this really interesting article by Susan Walton, and it's called From Squalid Impropriety to Manly Respectability, the Revival of Beards, Mustaches, and Martial Values in the 1850s in England. And I think this paper was a really good case study of how exactly beards have gone in and out of vogue over time by focusing on this specific period in England. Mm-hmm. Because uh, at the time when when the paper, I guess in the early 1850s, Beards were not in vogue at all. Only among like poets and artists and people that no one respectable would want to yeah, be. Yeah, like. more of the, the working class. Uh, and then the British government realized that it kind of needed to build up its military ranks. Now the reason they needed to do this was because in 1854, war was declared in Russia. And hence we have the beginning of the Crimean War. And suddenly you start having these images floating back to the British homeland of these bearded, tough-looking soldiers on the front lines. And slowly you start to get this association building between these masculine soldiers and their wartime beards. But, you know, also they made a good argument, a health argument. Mm -hmm. They'd say, if you don't have a beard, then you won't have anything to filter out all the dangerous things you're going to encounter out on the battlefield. Yeah. By which I mean, you might catch a cold. You might get a toothache. Clearly, God has given us beards to protect us from these outwardly, you know, germs and diseases. I mean, that was a real argument that they made at that time. Yeah, like like a natural... Surgical mask yeah, exactly. that some people wear on public transit, and it really freaks me out sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, they made the argument first that, hey, this will serve a sanitary function. Mm-hmm. This is for public health. You need to wear this beard. Now, one thing that we haven't mentioned that's really important in this whole 
rising beard popularity is actually a year before war is declared in Russia in 1853. While the British military is really starting to rustle up some excitement, trying to get some men, new men into the fold, they set up this fake battleground, battle camp, at this place called Chopham. Yeah, they're going to do some field exercises for the mm-hmm. public. Kind of like when uh, we have like Civil War reenactments is how I imagine it. Well, except this was before a real war. <laughs> yes. So exactly different from the example that I just gave. <laughs> but yes, it was a group of men getting together. Because you got to know it at the time, we probably haven't given enough background on this, but like at the time, Britain was anti-military. Yeah. They did not have much of a military, but they've got this growing conflict, uh, you know, outside the country they've got to get involved in. Mm-hmm. So one thing they've got to do is persuade the British men that they're manly enough to fight. Yes. So part of this argument is going to be showing them how fun shooting guns is. Yeah. And then to persuade them that they're manly enough by growing the beard. Mm-hmm. So tell them what happened to Chopham. Well, Chopham really became this public spectacle. People would come out and just to see these soldiers out in the field, see their skirmishes. The ladies were very taken with these rugged, outdoorsy soldiers. Who doesn't love a display of masculinity? Another podcast at another time, Molly. Um, and one thing that these skirmishes at Chopham popularized was the beard. Right, because the papers of the day sent reporters mm-hmm. who drew pictures. And whether the men had beards or not, they were all drawn with beards. And the reports would say things exactly like you were saying with those women. They'd be like, man, the women sure loved these men with beards fighting. Mm-hmm. So it was using beards as part of the propaganda to get England ready to fight this war. Right. Do you want to be a handsome, desirable young man in Britain? Well, you should grow a beard and join the army. Yeah. And then for a while, the British army required their soldiers to have facial hair on their upper lips. They couldn't shave at all for a long time. Like mustaches were basically required if Mm -hmm. you were going to be in the ranks. And, you know, if you want to bring it back to our own country, Kristen, think about the Civil War. Most men, you when you see pictures and paintings of the day, mm-hmm. they had facial hair. Mm-hmm. Or some and, really great chops, mutton and, chops. And not just because they were at war and couldn't shave. It just it was this sign to your enemy, like, I am ready to take you. Mm-hmm. And it's probably also a, a bit more terrifying, maybe on the field, if you encounter this kind of grisly man with a huge beard and mutton chops and maybe a clean-shaven, more pubescent one. Kristen, you've just provided the most amazing transition to what we're going to talk about next, which is what beards actually mean. Because you're already starting to say, like, what does a beard mean? The symbolism of facial hair. Man, you had no idea the politics that you're wearing on your face. So let us leave the past behind and move back into the present. All right, we're back in the present. And, well, let's, I'll say in the past for just one second. Yesterday is when I read this paper that now we're going to talk about. And of all the things I read to prepare for this podcast, Kristen, I don't know if I love anything as much as I love this paper. Molly really did love this paper. She kept sending me just snippets throughout the day of her her favorite sentences from this paper. All right. This paper is called I'm Sick of Shaving Every Morning or The Cultural Implications of Male Facial Presentation. It's by Michael John Pimfold who is at the School of Media and Design at Cheltenham and Gloucester College of Higher Education in jolly old England, which, by the way, is the home of the Handlebar Mustache Club. Yes. So England has a long and storied history of of wonderful facial hair. Now, just to lay the foundation for what we're about to 
toss y'all's way in terms of beard symbolism. May I present this sentence from the introduction of Pinfold's paper? I hope you will. The whispering wisps of men's beards contribute to a symbolic system which acts in contingency with the cultural implications about masculinity as a concept and male subjectivity as a construct. Now, you guys have probably thought that Molly and I have gone way out there in terms of deconstructing the symbolism of different women's fashions and the way we adorn ourselves and all of that. Well, guys, you can do it, too, as Pinfold handily proves. Right, because Pinfold takes the beard and just goes through it whisker by whisker in terms of every single thing it means and things that, you know... You may or may not agree with. Well, I think the most obvious argument that he makes, I think that we can all agree on, is that a beard is a display of sexual maturity. Yes, you have gone through puberty. You have the ability to grow hair on your face, which probably means you've got it other places. It symbols, I am here. I am ready to mate. Yes. Which is why... Pinfold argues that sort of the main thing that you're going to see when you see a beard, much like you were talking about on the battlefield, Kristen, is you're seeing a virile man. Like you're seeing, there's no doubt when you're seeing a a person with a beard that you're seeing a man. But we will get to later how people subvert that imagery. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people will use a beard to show that they are not a man. Now, Molly, what about Pinfold's point that he makes about the art of shaving, or not necessarily the art, I should say the practice of shaving the beard. The ritual of it. Because if they have this you know, display of full maleness, and we were speaking in very heteronormative terms, True. I would think we could say right now. Okay. We're in, <laughs> we're in heavy, heavy scholarly lingo at this point. <laughs> yeah, guys, just, just hold on for the ride. <laughs> um, but, but Penfold makes an interesting point about how he believes that the act of shaving is really a man's opportunity to exercise his inner femininity. Yes, because think if your stereotypical female uh, task is being in the mirror and primping, putting on makeup, looking at your face, then shaving is the closest thing that men have to that, mm-hmm. where they, uh, you know, they get to lather up, look themselves in the mirror and just spend like, you know, 10 minutes just focused on their appearance. Now, he says that that's a very female thing to do and that by removing the facial hair, he calls that a little bit emasculating because they are shaving away the very thing that makes them a man. Yeah, and he also claims that it's men with beards who have, quote-unquote, ruled the world both real and mythical from Abraham Lincoln to Neptune. Now, but the thing, though, that he doesn't really take into account is the fact that in modern-day culture... It, that hasn't been the case at all. When was the last time we had a bearded president? Not since Benjamin Harrison, I believe. Yeah, I mean, beards have kind of come back into popularity, I would say, a lot to do with the recession, which we'll get into in a minute. But, you know, I'd say for the, you know, the, the latter half of the 21st century, beards were a sign of you, you know, throwing off the power structure. But I think, I think Pinfold does address that a little bit, Kristen, because think of the world of like high finance or a lawyer. Yes. Those people are required to be clean shaven by and large. It's, it's a little bit taboo to go into like, you know, Wall Street with a big beard. Mm-hmm. He says that let's say, so I think that makes sense that why, that's why our presidents probably are clean shaven because it, it might, it might denote like laziness or something. However, though, Molly, Ben Bernanke sports quite a beard. Oh. I mean, I'm just saying. 
Bernanke. Continue. Foiled again by Bernanke. <laughs> All right. He says that when mangrove beards is part of a counterculture movement, think about how many hippies, for lack of a better word, grew beards mm-hmm. to show that they would not go to the military as part of Vietnam, that they were, you know, not part of the status quo. Yeah, it was more of the beatnik look as well. And so Pinfall makes this really flowery language to argument about how when men today don't shave, they are rejecting this modern world that they themselves have built. Like if a skyscraper is a symbol of the modern world, not shaving is a rejection of the skyscraper so that when the man stands next to the skyscraper, it's like, whoa, don't look at me. I didn't build this. But I would say though, Molly, the one maybe frustrating thing about beloved pinfolds, paper mm-hmm. is that he finds meaning in it you know whether you're whether you're shaving or you're not shaving so where does that really leave us because we have you know either you shave and you're part of the system or you don't shave and you're not part of the system but at the same time i would argue with the resurgence of the beard in popular culture especially starting in 2008 when you had the writers guild strike mm-hmm. and you had conan and David Letterman both growing beards as a sign of allegiance to the writers. Yeah. With all of that going on, and then with the rise of things such as the hipster mustache, mm. we could not get through this podcast without mentioning the hipster mustache. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you go in, in Esquire, there's a lot more, uh, there are a lot more articles that I ran across re- published recently about manscaping the beard, what different types of beards say about men. And they're really, it seems like they're really paying attention to, I guess, more the the fashion of it than whatever, like, cultural symbolism. Well, I think Pinfall is trying to say that even if you're just, if you're going a beard because you're just too st- tired to shave and you don't like it. I mean, remember the, the title of his paper is Too Tired to Shave Every mm-hmm. Morning. You think that you're just being lazy, but it's actually, it's some sort of statement. Like, I remember after the writer's strike, Letterman was just like, I don't like shaving every day. Yeah. But everyone else took that as a symbol of solidarity because of what was going on. So I think that this is a problem that women face all the time. I mean, think about our tattoo conversation, Kristen, how there was no way a woman could win if she got a tattoo. Right, because there's it's a symbol no matter what. And I think that, rightly or wrongly, I, I do think that Pinfall is saying that this is probably the equivalent for men. I mean, men don't have to have their bodies as politicized as women do, I don't think. I would agree with that. But beards are the one thing that we will read maybe too much into. Yeah, because since the beginning of recorded history, really, according to 1000 Beers, the book that we referenced earlier, facial hair, men's facial hair in particular, has been used as some kind of political symbol, mm-hmm. whether it's allegiance or divinity or status or what have you, there's always been some kind of meaning behind it. And as silly as this conversation might sound to a guy who just says, well, I just don't want to shave sometimes, or I look better when I have a clean face, I don't think that you can deny the fact that there is a lot of um, symbolism in it. But Molly, I think now's the time for maybe us to to pull away from all of this, the deeper meaning. And let's just get down to just basic attraction. Okay. We talked a lot about the men what beards say about men, but what does men's facial hair say to, and again, we're speaking in the very heteronormative space today. What does men's facial hair say uh, to the ladies? Well, there was a study published in the Telegraph in 2008 that will answer that question for us. All right. So they used British women, 18 to 44. Now again, they're British, so they are used to probably some wacky 
facial hair, if I may make a mass stereotype. Although, Molly, no, I mean, I think that stereotype is wrong because according to the World Beard Championships, the United States is now the uh, facial hair powerhouse. But those Just championships saying. were won for many years by, it, yeah, by the British. <sighs> they get us again. <laughs> All right. So they asked these women, basically they took these 15 male faces and then computer altered them so that, you know, they were clean shaven, they'd stubble, they had full beards, they had mustaches. They just, they went crazy with the computer generation. And they asked the women, which one do you prefer? And they asked them to rank them in terms of aggressiveness, um, attractiveness, powerfulness. Yeah. So they rank all these men and guess which style the women preferred? Well, Molly. I know for a fact. I didn't have to guess. Um, the men with light stubble were actually rated as the most attractive and the ideal romantic partner for both short and long-term relationships. Right. They asked the ladies, you know, who would you like to have for the rest of your life and who would you like to have just for tonight? Stubble one both times. Stubble. It's a win-win, fellas. And so the researchers who were analyzing this study thought that stubble... To use the, the words of the paper, offered women the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because it showed that they were mature. They had that masculinity within them. They had the potential to grow a full beard, but they were not too masculine, not too aggressive mm-hmm. because the men with beards were rated as very aggressive. Very aggressive and very dominant. Whereas the clean shaven men were rated the opposite. They were seen as not as aggressive, not as masculine, not as dominant. The, the clean shaven men actually finished at the bottom from us, all of the attractiveness characteristics. And the interesting thing about this is that in another, in a Time Magazine article that Molly and I found, uh, the author notes that according to some survey, two-thirds of women prefer for their, the men that they're in relationships with, to be clean-shaven. And Molly and I kind of put our heads together and theorized... Having read Pinfold. Having read Pinfold, post-Pinfold, Theorized that women who are already in a relationship with a guy might prefer him to be clean shaven because it, it according to Pinfold, emasculates him somewhat and take, removes him from the sexual marketplace a little exactly. bit. Whereas if we're just out there looking for guys, it's the stubbled ones who, you know, catch our eyes the most. So of course, you know, you don't want. You're keeping your man off the market yeah. by making sure he has no stubble. Like, yes, there's a practical con- concern in that. Kissing stubble can be a little painful sometimes. Stubble burn. But if women do find stubble most attractive, then you don't want your guy walking around in his most attractive state. And just to confirm the results of this stubble study, I uh, I sent Molly a series of three photographs of one of our favorite actors, Mad Men's John Hamm, mm-hmm. possibly the most attractive living man. And there was one of him clean shaven in a tux, looking great, mm-hmm. stubbled. Won't even, can't even describe it. <laughs> and then one when he was, he grew up this, this fantastic full beard. And I asked Molly which ham she preferred. Molly, what'd you say? I liked stubbled ham. Yeah. It's good stuff. It was a really great picture. <laughs> but maybe Molly, just to prove though, that different cultures, not surprisingly, might perceive facial hair in different ways. Uh, there was another story from the Washington Post that came out pretty recently about how Indian women actually prefer clean-shaven men mm-hmm. uh, because typically uh, Indian men would grow out full, long facial hair 
Um, but now the m- most recent facial hair fad for younger Indian males, and you'll see it a lot in Bollywood as well, is to be clean shaven. And they think that it's just sort of a sign of, you know, the men embracing more of the, the globalization, westernization that has sort of taken hold of, uh, of the more industrialized parts of India. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting contrast to all of this pinfold and, psychological studies we've been talking about. Well, I also liked how in the article they said something like, it shows that these men are now listening to the women and what they prefer, mm-hmm. and that maybe they don't prefer to kiss a face full of hair. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So now, guys, it is time for us to hear from you, because obviously Molly and I can't sport beards. We can't display our sexual maturity with a handlebar mustache or a five o'clock shadow. So we want to know what you think. Is this crazy talk? Uh, do you down with pinfold, up with pinfold? Yeah. Do you do you feel like you're you're a little more masculine whenever you you sport a beard? Do you think you're more attractive? Um, do you feel emasculated every time you take a knife to your face? Yeah. Let us know your thoughts. And if you've got cool pictures of awesome beards and mustaches, Ooh, we'll take them. Yes. Send them to our email address. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And now we will do a little bit of listener mail. All right, I have an email from Kristen, another Kristen, not our Kristen. Um, and this is from an old one, our Kristen, but I thought we should share it. Remember when you told that story about how you were on steroids? Oh, yeah. For poison ivy, guys, not, yeah. not to pump up. For poison ivy. And I think that you mentioned, according to this listener, that it ramps up your immune system to fight off poison ivy. So Kristen is a physician assistant, and she says it actually does the opposite. The reaction of poison ivy... The reaction to poison ivy is your body's immune system going crazy in response to the oil touching your skin. Steroids are prescribed to hinder this response and also work to decrease the inflammation. And the reason that she wrote about this is because there are a lot of people who are on these type of steroids regularly for conditions such as asthma or autoimmune disorders like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. And these people should be aware of the side effects like decreased immunity, not increased immunity. Ah, So thank you, Kristen. All right. Well, now I've got an email here from Laura, and this is about ballet and the Babysitter's Club. Right. You may remember that we got an email um, that said, you may remember we got an email about the Babysitter's Club's Jesse, who was a ballerina and who was black. And so the listener was like, why didn't Anna Martin write about this conflict of Mm -hmm. diversity in the ballet world? So now read the email we got. And Laura from Toronto says that she, in fact, did. She said, one of the books did deal with a specific case of ballet racial prejudice against Jesse. I think it was called Jesse's Secret Language. When Jesse was cast as the lead in Capelia, she ended up being harassed by some of the other dancers in her class who didn't like the idea of a non-white Capelia. Jesse wins them over with her talent and finds out that the queen bee of the Mean Girls was jealous that she hadn't gotten the lead and they ended up as friends. All right. BSC to the rescue again. Thank you, Laura. So, guys, we'd love to hear your thoughts on beards or anything else. The email address, as always, is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. But now there are a host of new ways to get in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter name is momstuffpodcast, all one word. We're also on Facebook now, so you can become our fans there and leave us comments, and we will respond to them. And you just, for Facebook, to find that, you just type in stuff mom never told you. No funny names there. And lastly, we have a brand new blog where you can leave us comments. It's called Stuff Mom Never Told You. You can find it on the blogs at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 
Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?